0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Man. Feeling in I could hear the whole tune in my head. It was all there, I could see all the notes, and I just had to get it out. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. What did you say your name was again? My name is... Reggie! Reginald Dwight Reginald, that's my granddad's name So that is a fat boy
1: from nowhere Get to be a soul man Gotta kill the person
2: you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be
3: I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton, Elton. that's my name. Yeah, I know the best-selling artist in america if you desire i was trying to do something bold why are you still something
0: flashy can you even play the piano in those let them know who you are and just don't kill yourself with drugs
2: so how does it feel to be a star?
4: it's never going to last
2: let's just enjoy it while we
1: can
4: no sleeping arrangements get out. All of this is gone.
0: I just hope you realise you're choosing a life of being alone forever. Don't you wanna just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Reg white. They pay to see Elton John! I'm sorry. Anna. Right
3: Hey, how much pressure I am under. Not really. I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. Maybe I should have tried to be more ordinary.
4: You were never ordinary. boy, you (laughs) look at you now.
0: All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Rocket Man, and the story is as follows. An epic musical fantasy about the uncensored human story of Sir Elton John's breakthrough years. The film is starring Taron Egerton, Jamie Bell, Richard Madden, and Bryce Dallas Howard is directed by Dexter Fletcher, written by Lee Hall. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Celia Shalekoway. Hey there. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. And Thomas E. O'Brien. Yes.
3: Hi, everybody.
0: I almost called you Sir Thomas E. O'Brien. and just <laughs> rolled off the tongue. But. <laughs> it would be appropriate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hello. Well, welcome to our review of Rockin' Man. Rockin' Man. No, I, that's it. That's, that's all you're getting. Um, this film it's inevitable to just come right out of the gate swinging and saying that this is coming off the heels of Bohemian Rhapsody, performing very well at the Oscars recently. And I think that comparisons to that film are almost unavoidable, considering uh, the close proximity in which the two films have been released. And and how much they were in the lead-up to the release of Rocket Man, they were compared to a lot in regards to the content, how Taron was going to be playing the role. Obviously, they're both musical biopics. But what did we ultimately think? Did we think it was better? Did we think it was worse? Do we think it was more of the same? I think we're going to have some varying opinions on this one. Why don't we pass it off first to Celia? Celia, what did you think of Rocket Man?
4: I liked it. I think it hit the notes that I was hoping it would hit. Obviously, so I saw it on Friday, and obviously since then I've, you know, seen other people's takes on it, and I don't think it's necessarily, like, a groundbreaking film, but uh, it was what I wanted to watch. Like, it was what I was hoping to see, so I liked it.
0: So you had expectations, you walked in, it delivered. Cool. Mm -hmm. Casey, what about you?
4: I So for those
1: that have not heard me gush about this already on Twitter and on um, the Weekly Show the other day, I am a massive Elton John fan, and I went into this with expectations that I knew would probably met inevitably based on my own bias, and I came out just loving it. I, I have a couple little nitpicks that I think we'll get into, but as a whole, I really loved it. I loved Taryn's performance. I loved the musical elements, and yeah, this Elton John means a lot to me. I feel like I've grown up with his music. I've grown up my mom loving him, and and Bernie Taupin as a songwriter as well, so I I feel like I know these people and it was a really beautiful experience and I can't wait to talk about it more.
3: Okay. All right. Tom, what about you? I was going in a little bit worried about it because I was so afraid that it was going to be yet another drama with music. And I said, I really don't want to see a, you know, drug addled Elton John drama. Thank you. No. So that when, um, teen, uh, teen Reggie goes through the, uh, The door of the fair and all of a sudden we have dancers going on and I said oh wow we've got a full-fledged musical here and then when uh, they finally wound up with the bitches back with young Reggie and adult Reggie and they in color and everyone around them uh, with desaturated color I thought to myself wow we have a filmmaker here so I thought it was a breath of fresh air okay alrighty Josh Parn, what about you
2: um I came out of this movie much more mixed than a lot of other people seem to be.
0: All right. You have brought balance to the force, my friend. <laughs> what do you have to say? <laughs>
2: well, I, I will say this about, about rocket man. I don't think it's a bad movie. And I do think that there are a lot of things that are really good about it. Taryn Egerton being chief among them. I think his performance is really spectacular. Uh, I think, most of the cast is pretty good, with one very notable exception, which I think we will get to. And I think that the musical numbers are well done and well executed. Those were all very enter- uh, entertaining and enjoyable to watch. My big problem with this movie, though, is I don't think it really strays that far away from that kind of tired musician biopic Uh, Mm -hmm. standard in terms of the the storytelling that we have come very much uh, familiar with and quite honestly some of the things that we dinged previous movies on and even though I think the film does a lot to try to gussy itself up it still fell into those traps for me and when it did I was still kind of annoyed by it especially considering all the other stuff that it was doing really well And I think the fact that it just really struggled to get away from those very predictable beats kind of took away a significant amount of my enjoyment for the film. So it's okay. I just was left really disappointed that it didn't go further into trying to subvert the genre.
0: So heading into this, I was not a big Elton John fan. I... Still am not, really, to tell you the truth. I mean, like, I like the classic hits, you know? The ones that you hear at the parties or play on the radio, like every other probably normal person on the planet does. I think my only real other exposure to Elton John has just been The Rotel Dorado and the Lion King. (laughs) So (laughs) otherwise, you know, not really, you know, the biggest listener of his music. So for me, this was like a whole eye opener in terms of getting to understand Elton and how they wanted to present this story. And Josh, I'll come right out first and foremost. And I will say that I do agree with you. I agree that the standard tropes of the musical biopic are present. It's the rise, it's the fall, it's the drugs and the booze and the women and the men in this case, you know, and it's everything in between. I get it. I understand. What really set this apart for me was... I think that what I criticized Bohemian Rhapsody for, which was, you have this larger-than-life character of Freddie Mercury, and you're going to give him this very standardly produced biopic that's not larger-than-life like its subject itself. In comes Dexter Fletcher, whose vision for this movie from a directorial stance I thought there was enough trickery, enough bells and whistles with the musical numbers, the fantastical elements that it helped me to push out of my mind that, yes, it was still following that standard structure formula that we're used to because there was so much else going on, like Tom said, that it pretty much swept me off my feet.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think just for me, I could recognize all of those directorial flourishes that were in the film and they are impressive. But I think at the end of the day, it just really came across as like just window dressing to me that they as impressive as they were, they were there to try to cover up something that had they worked a little bit harder could have been, it could have been worked at in a more creative way. And I just really felt the writings of this movie let it down Time after time. I mean, I think there are some really terribly written sequences in in this film. And I think it's just a shame because the acting and the directing are so strong that I just think that third element, which is the screenplay, is just really, really weak to me. Well, you know what?
0: Let's do this, actually. If you can name any specific scenes that come to your mind uh, from that screenplay, I would love to hear – you know, some someone else like Casey, Celia, Tom, anyone other than me. Basically, I would love to hear uh, your take on you know if you agree with Josh or disagree with Josh, and you know we can bounce off of it that way.
2: Uh, well, I think that the entire framing device of this film is pretty bad.
0: Uh, with I the, was the DAA meeting, you mean?
2: Yeah, I was not a fan of the rehab sequences in this film and in fact at one point i thought that maybe these were also a fantasy because of how terribly they were coming across they just felt very stilted to me and Mm -hmm. felt like a framing device that just wasn't necessary and they were places that i felt really tried to hammer in the point of highlighting the very standard moments that we get in these biopics and those were sequences that i just really could have done without
1: well, I don't think they were ter- terribly well written. I'll agree on that. I do. I did one find found them very theatrical, especially like when you start with it. Especially in that everybody in the group was, I think, in like black and white clothing. And to me, I was like, "Oh, this isn't real." Mm. Like I immediately, I generally don't think any of them are like fully real until maybe like the last one when he's in like the tracksuit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's like clear that he's in rehab. That I think it's all kind of in this weird bubble of fantasy. And in that, I like, even then I could like picture it on stage, how they would like start off a musical this way of like this framing. Cause that's something that I feel like musicals on stage do a lot. So that's why it didn't bother me, but I can also recognize like, yeah, this probably wasn't the most well-written or like original interesting thing, but it didn't bother me if that makes any sense.
0: You know, what bothered me more was the uh, musical montage where they're showing um, through crossfades uh, his success over, like, a two-minute or one-minute period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and Elta John just continued to have all of this success. And yeah. here are the, you know, news headlines during that time. And here's Elta John with a bag full of money, you know? And it's like, okay, you know, I, I, God, I feel like I've seen this before.
2: Yeah, you saw it last year in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Do you think that, Josh, do you think that if this had come out before Bohemian Rhapsody, you would feel the same about it?
0: Hmm. Good question.
2: I I don't really I don't really think so because having already seen Bohemian Rhapsody and knocked that film for many of its tropes, I think that this film just happens to suffer from the same thing. It's better it's slightly better executed, I will give it that, because mm-hmm. it has those musical sequences that are really well done, but I do think that the the bare bones like structure of this story in terms of just how it is unfolding just really feels so familiar to all of these other movies. And, you know, I'll admit, maybe expectation going into this one played a little bit of a factor, hoping that it would be better than Bohemian Rhapsody. But I still think that even taking a a step back from that movie, Rocket Man still indulges in many of those tropes that I'm just kind of tired of seeing. And it tries very hard to Dressing them up, but it's still there for me.
4: hmm
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That you say that too because one thing I was thinking about while watching the movie was we start off uh, Seeing Elton John as a child and how he gets into via uh, Academy School of Music and his relationship with his father and his mother and In my mind, I'm starting to stink to myself Oh, no They're really going to do from the very beginning, then the movie's going to have its focus in the middle, and we're going to go all the way till the end to the present day, and it's going to be just that walk-hard, standard musical biopic, but it doesn't do that. It actually doesn't show anything from his later life, which in retrospect now, I I don't know about you guys, but I was having quite a fun time watching this that I could have seen more. Like I could have seen Taryn Egerton with uh, some makeup uh, and, you know, put on a couple more pounds and play like Elton John in later years and yeah. show maybe those happier times at post rehab.
4: That was something that I thought afterwards, too, was like the one flaw of the film that I keep coming back to isn't really I mean, yeah, it's not like perfectly written and it's not you know, the most original thing and all this stuff. But I feel like most of the flaws lie in the fact that this was produced by Elton John. <laughs> and so it's mm-hmm. like yes. he it's it doesn't feel particularly hard-hitting in any kind of sense. Really? Oh, no. wow. Oh. No. I mean, and that was something that I actually spoke to my parents about afterwards because they saw Elton John live when he was in, like, the midst of his drug years. And so I was curious about their, like, take on seeing what his side of the story was or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he, and I asked them like, Oh, do you feel like it was, you know, an unbiased view of it? And they were like, I mean, maybe, but I feel like there would have been more people in the background rolling their eyes at him instead of telling, telling him that they love him and all this stuff. So, I mean, I don't think it was particularly unbiased, but it, I think the success of the movie and the reason why in this case, it might be good that he produced it is it did make me, a lot more, like, interested in his life overall, and I was like, yeah, if they made a sequel that was, like, him doing the Lion King soundtrack, like, I'd be down <laughs> for that, you know? Like, yeah. like, in that way, it was successful because it kind of sold you him as a person. Uh, was that what everybody was hoping for from the film? Probably not.
0: You know it's really funny, Celia, was, like, considering the fact that the movie is so much about this man's quest for love, I was almost convinced that the movie was going to end with him singing, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Oh, <laughs> I was like, I think just because I wanted to hear it so, so badly, and the fact that the film doesn't go into it, I understand why. I get it in retrospect. But, no, that is interesting, though. And I do concede that... Get... Uh, uh, once again, I think what really is helping me with this movie is the fact that Bohemian—I boh- can't even say its name properly. It put such a disgusting taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Bohemian Rhapsody put a disgusting taste in my mouth that I thought that movie portrayed the members of Queen so safe and made them look like gods and saints in that movie.
3: Yeah, they, they were angels. Yeah, they—they they, they needed to get home to their wives without all of that. Dirty gay stuff going on with Freddie.
0: Right. So then when I saw this movie and I see Taron Egerton doing the dirty gay stuff and, you know, really selling the booze and the alcohol and the abuse that it uh, had him cause onto those that he loved. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Don't pull any punches. Hell yeah! Let's. I love that Taron Egerton is going for this. He's giving it. He's like doing it raw, and it's like <laughs> a, it feels like an honest <laughs> performance. You know it, what I mean?
3: Yeah, certainly. Com- certainly, compared to that Freddie Mercury thing that shall not be named, uh, it, it, uh, <laughs> this one really. I thought even with David Furnish and uh, Elton John as producers, I kind of give it points for the warts and all. It's not all the warts that Elton John had, but I really think that this particular one is a little more honest than, say, that one or um, uh, the uh, James Brown biography, which I understand the uh, Brown family really whitewashed. Hmm. This is, yeah, it's it's under the guidance of the performer himself, but I think he let himself uh, be seen as the person that uh, he really was. And as he said, when they were talking about the rating, he did not leave a PG-13 kind of life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think I just really appreciated that a little bit more so. And it's interesting because had Bohemian Rhapsody not existed, I actually do think I would be less high on this movie. I don't know. I, don't, I, feel I, feel I do. like
4: I feel like I never walked away with the feeling of like, he might be a bad person. Like nothing happened in the movie that made me think this guy might not actually be that great of a person. Like, there was no real redemption. I mean, there was a redemption arc for him, like, personally, you know, like, he overcame his own demons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, like, outside of, like, getting mad at the people around him a couple of times. So, I mean, I wasn't mad about it, but it was definitely one of those things where you leave the theater and you're like, I can see that there was the hand of 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 the inspiration in there.
0: Well, one of Velton John's influences was the Beatles. And the Beatles told us that all we need in this world is love. And I like that the film's uh, theme and the, the, the story that they were ultimately telling was this was a man who felt that because of his sexuality and the times that he was living in, he was so talented that he had to sacrifice love in order to achieve fame and the psychological impact that that left on him. As a result of making that choice and uh, the fallout of which, you know, like you were saying, pushing uh, his loved ones away because he fell into alcohol and drugs. Because in retrospect, he hated that decision that he made. I I I don't know what it was, but that really connected with me a lot, and I I thought that as much as I'm obviously not a famous person or anything like that, something about that desire and that need for acceptance not just from those around you but for yourself of who you are that that really spoke to me
4: yeah i I loved it i just didn't think it had to do with him pulling punches or not well and i I also think i also think that would have been more
2: effective for me if any of the supporting players in this movie had like any kind of depth or complexity to them i think that elton john is the, the only um, who is really like a fleshed out, fully formed three dimensional character, and everybody else is really kind of shallowly written. And I think that's a problem with me connecting to this greater emotional story that the movie's trying
3: to sell. I think you have a, I think you have a point, Josh, on that, because uh, especially the, the problem I had with the film script was early on with the family, um, Stephen McIntosh and Bryce Dallas Howard, the lines they had were so on the nose. You know, and and even eventually, uh, when uh, Elton, as a uh, as an adult, calls his mother, she says, "You know, you will never be loved." And it's so obvious that this is the theme, and it, it just—I just wish the par- uh, the parental characters had a little more room to breathe, so there was some dimension, except all you know, that's different from all of the hateful stuff they spew. Mm-hmm.
0: I really like Jamie Bell as Bernie Toppin. Yep. Yeah. I-
1: I, that was like the heart for me. Besides just Elton's story, like, and maybe again, that's because I go into this knowing who Bernie Taupin is, and my mom like showing me her records and being like so like just infatuated with his lyricism and all. But like, yeah, that was like the stuff that always like broke me because <laughs> I, I cried a good bit in this, just of being such a fan of this music and already knowing a lot of this story. But it was the stuff with him and Bernie and that friendship and that brotherhood that I always connect to, and that could just be the real life story rather than. What was written on this for the screen, but no, I I
2: yeah. would say that it definitely was in the movie because I, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Elton John and his whole story, but everything with Bernie Taupin to me in this film were the highlights of the movie. My two favorite scenes include Bernie Taupin in this film, and I think mm-hmm. that that relationship is really mm-hmm. supposed to be the heart of this movie. Like that is what is yeah. really supposed yeah. to be the thing that drives him through this narrative, but I feel like Bernie Toppin is barely in it. Like Jimmy Bell. Well he disappears enough- in the middle. Exactly. And for I mean, I guess they have to because that really happened, but it just feels like there's a whole chunk of this movie then that is missing that very strong emotional core to it that I was just desperately missing. I, I love the Bernie Toppin relationship and I wish the movie really had explored it even more.
0: Mm. I really, really liked um his rendition of, um, uh, oh my God, why, why can't I think of the name? Tiny Dancer and how oh, right. it was actually about him. Yeah.
2: That and your song. I, I love both of those sequences.
0: Yeah, I actually have a note written down here. I, I have your song and then I have next to the word, I have the word magic written yeah. down because I do remember that sequence in the movie. I was like, yeah, this is movie magic right now. This is fantastic. Yeah. In comes John Reed played by uh, Game of Thrones actor Richard Madden. Dark king of the North, as mm, they would him know him as. Um, <laughs> and you probably have heard of John Reed before because he was also played by Game of Thrones actor Aidan Gillen in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> so this is a shared universe of Game of Thrones actors playing the same shady managerial character. Um, I'm wondering when Nikolai Kostawaldu is going to get cast as him next. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But what do you guys think of Richard Madden and his inclusion in the film?
2: Um, Well, (laughs) um, it's hard for me to say anything objective about (laughs) Richard Madden and his acting and whatever he's on screen. Um, So suffice it to say, I did enjoy his presence. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'll admit to that. But I think, again... That character could have been explored with a little bit more depth, and I think he just comes across as a pretty one-dimensional villain by the end of it. And I guess, to a certain point, that's all you kind of really need, but as a Richard Badden stan, I certainly would have appreciated a little bit more from that character.
0: It started out having a lot of depth, I felt like. I felt like their relationship was complex enough, and I was interested to see how the film was going to explore it. But you're right, Josh. They settled for the one-dimensional, money-hungry villain type that actually doesn't really care about him. And I, I was very disappointed by that.
1: Yeah, I yeah. don't agree with that. Yeah. I mean, although I did – yeah, it starts out real fun, and then you – know, I, I, I feel like barely even calling it a sex scene. I'm just going to say that now. Like mm-hmm. maybe that maybe that's just me being like, I wanted more. <laughs> maybe that's but whatever. Um part
4: of, yeah. Part yeah, of me was you like, Oh yeah, part of <laughs> me was like, Oh, it was so like tame, but another part of me is like, Well that's how like straight people sex scenes are filmed. So <laughs> like, Which I so yeah, do? so maybe then it's like, Oh, we're just getting
1: you know, maybe then we're having an even playing field. I don't know. But
0: Listen, you're not gonna get thrusting, all right, in an R rated <laughs> film. I'm just <laughs> throwing that out there. <laughs> Uh, uh, well, maybe you do. I don't know. I, maybe in like the Jason Voorhees movies. I pff, whatever. It there you can't compare the two. <laughs> <laughs> in any event, I uh, I do think that the movie skated the fine line between. Um, being a little bit more hardcore than Bohemian Rhapsody, but not being so over the top that it would push away a mainstream audience. And I think we're seeing that reflected very much so in the response to this movie. Um, Audiences are definitely very much enjoying the film. So I think that they were able to hit the right combination that they needed. Once again, I, I do agree with Josh. It is my one drawback with the movie is the fact that the screenplay is unavoidably cliche at times, but... I'm going to go back to Dexter Fletcher for a minute here, um, especially that scene at the – I'm going to say this right – Troubadour? Am I saying that right?
4: Troubadour. Troubadour.
0: Troubadour? Okay. Yeah, like that scene where Elton performs at that show, just the vibrancy that I and the energy that I felt in that sequence – Uh, I owe that mostly to Taron, obviously, but Dexter Fletcher and his staging and the way that he shoots some of these concert scenes. And then in mid-performance, we'll go away from the stage and boom, we're in some sort of a fantasy musical sequence with a chorus dancing and Taron, you know, interacting with props and stuff. And I'm just like, man the staging of this, this is, this is great.
3: You know, it was that, it was that moment for me that I thought, you know, people are going to be comparing it to that Freddie Mercury thing. But I think this film has much more in common with Moulin Rouge.
4: Mm. Yeah. And that's what I walked away from this from, you know, something that I think, Josh, everything you're saying about it is absolutely correct. And on maybe like a technical level from like the storytelling perspective it's pretty underwhelming but there I have such a soft spot for films that are like hopelessly relentlessly sentimental and this is absolutely that and so it's one of those things where I'm like yeah it's whatever but cool and emotional and pretty. <laughs> and
1: I like it. <laughs> I agree. I think I said this on Twitter that I saw across the universe at an impressionable age, so this felt made for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, in that way of like, it's pretty and sentimental and there's things about the script that are very much lacking, but I kind of don't care. It's also, it's why I probably, I, I would never give this like a perfect rating or say it's the best movie of the year.
0: No, God no. But
1: for what I'm looking for, it's great.
0: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what sums it up. Like I said, I, I think I would be lower on it. Um, spoiler alert: Maybe in like that seven territory range. Uh, if uh, Bohemian Rhapsody had not come out, I probably would be a little bit more harsh on it. But I think that the the seeing how much that film was praised and how I was just completely and like many others just baffled by what everybody saw in that movie, this was something that for me was like like this is what I wanted originally from that and i didn't get there i got it here and i'm glad that i just finally got like that that um that that thirst satisfied (laughs) i don't know any other way to say it um the other thing too i just want to give a shout out here uh doug weston uh i'm sorry not doug weston tate donovan who plays doug weston the uh troubadour uh owner yeah. has such a fun performance in this that <laughs> does not last nearly long enough he was great in his brief screen time that he had yeah, uh, he was such a delight I was really really enjoying that so much
3: real hoot <laughs> uh, should we move over to final thoughts yeah sure. wow,
4: that, sure was a, that was a quick one that's the quickest podcast I've ever been on it's been a half an hour <laughs> I know. Well, I'm coming off a Game of Thrones podcast, so I'm like less than three hours. Incredible.
0: <laughs> 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 Welcome to podcast reviews. <laughs> uh, all right, so Celia, we'll start off with you. Actually, anything that we didn't talk about with Rocket Man that you want to talk about, um, and if not, uh, final general thoughts.
4: I mean, no. I think I think it honestly kind of speaks for itself as far as like the trailer is is pretty much what you're gonna get. It it kind of telegraphs what its goal is to you right away so if this looks like your kind of movie you're gonna like it and if it doesn't then you're not (laughs) like there's kind of nothing surprising here that will sway you either direction the characters were kind of thin the script was kind of eh. um not all the performances were amazing but like the music was great and there was just this overwhelming feeling of like love that i got from it and that i walked out of it with and that i hope to you know revisit maybe like a you know like a blanket in the future on a bad day or something like that so mm-hmm. i like it i like it
0: nice what, what would be your grade
4: um i'll give it we don't do half points here i'll give it an eight
0: okay cool yeah all right we'll go to tom next tom what about you
3: I we really haven't talked too much about uh, Taron Edgerton.
0: You know, wow. you know what? Yeah, have at it, Tom. Uh, say say it. Good lord, he, deserve, he deserves all the praise in the world. Yeah, so
3: I uh, I have to say, going in, I'm not a huge fan of the Kingsman movie, so I was like, oh boy, let's see what goes on. He knocked me silly. He really, <laughs> he 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 just left it on the stage. He just was so good, and. Uh, you know, uh, yes, there's a bit been a big deal of talking about him um, singing his own songs, singing his with his own voice, and uh, yes, that's true. But he, even though he doesn't sound exactly like Elton John, it has the same feeling of an Elton John song. Yeah, and 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 he really delivers in the dramatic scenes. Uh, this is uh, it. Just kind of breaks my heart because it, uh, This was released in May. It's a long way till January. But it had not uh, Rami Malek won last year, I think this is, would be a major, major contender. But Oscars aside, this is this is a star-making performance, and I think mm-hmm. now Taron Edgerton is a star.
0: His last collaboration with Dexter Fletcher uh, was Eddie the Eagle, which was a performance that I thought was really overlooked. I'm not saying just for awards consideration, but just more for guys, look at the talent that Taron Egerton has to just completely transform himself for a role. And it was something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily caught on to at the time. And yes, he's known for playing um, uh, uh, Eggsy in the Kingsman films. And in between, he's had... uh, Let's just put it this way. He didn't have a really good 2018 with Billionaire Boys Club and Robin Hood. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) Okay, But if you put all that aside, uh, I still think that the guy, pre-30 years old, he's 29. Jeez. I think that he is extraordinarily talented. And all he needs is the right director and script. And I think that he can continue to keep giving us these very highly transformative performances that shock and awe us. If you haven't seen Eddie the Eagle, I, I really recommend checking that out. That's another kind of a uh, standard feel-good sports movie uh, with him and Hugh Jackman, but he—he's quite—he is quite impressive in it still. So, Taryn Egerton, you're not going to get that Oscar man, but you certainly got our hearts. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, what grade would you give it, Tom? I give it an eight. Okay, Casey.
1: Um. Yeah. So, just I think reiterating what I said, I really, I love this movie. I'm already looking forward to seeing it again. I. I cried a lot. It was nice. It was a nice cathartic experience for me. Um, yeah, I think the the highlights for me are Taryn Egerton and those musical numbers. I just I remember during that Bitches Back opening, I, just with like the biggest smile on my face, just <laughs> like this is everything I want in a movie. Um, and especially with there's like I feel like there's not many movie musicals anymore that are besides La La Land that are good. So it's you know, refreshing to have that, especially as the little kid that grew up loving movie musicals. And also, even though, like, obviously, I already went into this knowing Elton story and already having those sentimental values to him and these songs, being somebody that has had a history of depression and a difficult relationship with alcohol, I really found things to latch onto in this story that I think were very uplifting. And I think that was an emotional um, tie to it that I definitely took by the end of, like, this is somebody that overcame something and got better. And same also was just, like, a coming-out story I found very, like, uplifting of, like, somebody you can turn your life around and, like, I'm still standing and I'm here. And I found that messaging by the end of it to be really powerful and, like, really just great for me to hear. And I just, I think overall, like, it's not perfect, and I, I think that the first half is a lot better than the second half. And the script isn't great, but for what I was looking for, and for the expectations that I had for this, it met them and more. And I, I just I love this film, and I'm really happy that it exists and that it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody, and that it's <laughs> it's just yeah. I think it was the film that Elton deserves, and I. It makes me excited for more musical biopics if they take these interesting turns. Mm.
0: What grade would you give it, Casey?
1: I'd give it a 9. Okay. It's not a 10, but it's, I think it's higher than an 8 for me.
0: Okay. Cool. And, you know, also I just want to just draw attention that how fitting is it that we're reviewing this uh, during the month of June and it being Pride Month. And like you said, Casey, the, the messaging that it does put out there um, for knowing who you are and being okay with it um, to all of our LGPDQ Uh, people that are listening out there right now. I just want to give a quick shout out to those listeners uh, that we love you all and we all stand by you. And who's that leave? That leaves Josh. Josh, final Um, thoughts.
2: I, I would actually say that if I'm going to talk about a final thought, my feelings about this movie are kind of summed up in one particular scene of this film. And it is when Elton John is in the his throes of his drug addiction and, and I, I forget what song is playing but there's a song playing that's going on and he basically is at like a club that turns into a very well choreographed orgy sequence with <laughs> oh like, yeah yeah that was it <laughs> and and that scene I was thinking you know this scene's very well directed I like the visual style of it I think Taron Egerton is really great the music's fantastic all that's good and I've also just seen a scene similar to this in Bohemian Rhapsody, like literally the exact same scene.
0: Exactly. When he goes into the nightclub and um, oh, and God, what's the song? The Another one bites the dust is playing. Yep. And,
2: <sighs> and to me, it's like, is this scene slightly better executed than the previous one? Sure. But it still adheres to the very same basic formula that all of these movies seem to have. And that was incredibly frustrating to me. So there's a a lot in this movie that I do appreciate. I, I appreciate the visual style that it was going for and trying to be a little bit more impressive and not just be so bare bones in its filmmaking. But the story and the script just could not break free from that very rigid formula. and. Unfortunately for me that was just a little bit too much for me to just dismiss and I totally get that other people can do it and if you can all the more power to you but I think for me I knowing that the visuals were so impressive and trying to get away from the standard fare to see the script fall down that path was more frustrating to me than I think for a lot of other people
0: that's totally that's totally fair I am I, actually I, like, I I totally see that josh and i fully understand it i like i said before i think that from like i'm only gonna speak for myself here i i think that the visual style like like you say comparing those two scenes especially because i just had flashbacks to exactly how that scene was edited with the I, I i the lighting the the slow motion i remember all of that now that i'm thinking about it back in bohemian and i'm remembering the scene now from rocket man and i, I favor what they did in rocket man more Also because I feel like while I was watching Rocketman, I was less bothered by some of the decisions that they did make and how they presented the story. And I think it's totally natural and completely understanding if the same things that bothered you in Bohemian Rhapsody also found a way to come through here as well. I I, I can totally recognize that.
2: Yeah. And to me, that's the biggest issue that I have. There are very impressive elements to the film, but that bare like structure to it that's so rigid, I just really couldn't get past, sadly. So for me, I ultimately end up being a six out of 10 on this film. I'm very mixed on it. There's a lot I like, but there's also a lot more, or there's also just a great deal that I didn't really like as well.
0: Well, I still love you, Josh. So Well thank you. (laughs) You always have my love.
4: I totally get it. I've been on I've been in your shoes where I'm the only one that isn't a huge fan. So I'm with you.
0: (laughs) And hey, like I said, you brought balance to the force at least, you know. So that's really that's always that's always good. I will give this film an eight out of ten. I think it's one of the better films I have seen so far this year. I think it works for It's intended audience. And like I said before, I think that's being reflected both in the critics and also uh, how people have responded to it at the box office so far. It's not going to make Bohemian Rhapsody level money, um, but it's still doing pretty okay as far as everything is concerned. And now we're going to talk about something very interesting because, Tom, you mentioned before that this is a May release and it's a long way till January. We got to talk about the film's Oscar prospects. So. I'm with you in the sense that I do believe that if this film had been released later in the year, probably in that Bohemian Rhapsody time slot, I think that this would be a much, much heavier contender in both the text and also for Taron Egerton's performance. I do think that we can all collectively agree, though, that things like screenplay, director, and picture are off the table, correct? Correct. Yeah. So this boils down to Taron and some of the texts. Uh, what texts uh, were highlights for you in this?
2: Oh, costumes, costumes, especially, yeah. 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 And, and one thing that I will especially praise about the costumes is that I liked that they hearkened back and evoked his style, but they weren't direct, uh, like, reproductions of them. And I love that scene at the end when you see the costumes in the movie and they compare it to something similar that happened in real life. And there's, like, these slight differences but they're not the exact same. And I thought that that was a really interesting way to go about it, to have these costumes evoke his style, but not be direct, like, carbon copies of them.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I, I agree with you, Josh, on that one. Uh, particularly since in real life, a lot of those costumes were designed to entertain folks in the upper deck of Dodger Stadium. <laughs> and and, the, and the, the film is a much more intimate medium. So it evokes it, but it works for film. And that that transition, I think, was very smart. And I think costumes is the one thing that it will that will, I think, still land uh, around Oscar time.
0: I was thinking about this the other day where even though Taron Egerton doesn't necessarily sound like Elton John, you put those costumes and the wig on him, and I swear there are more than a few shots where I had to do a bit of a double take where I was like, holy God, he is a splitting image of him right now. Like, it was uncanny. Right. And I think when you put all of the elements together, it really does come through.
2: Yeah, and, and I know that we don't want to, mentioned the other movie a ton, but it is the same costume designer as Bohemian Rhapsody. And he was probably very close to getting nominated for that film.
0: I thought he was too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So he might already kind of be in the mindset of Academy members. And I think this is much stronger work than that film was. So I, if nothing else, I really do hope that the costumes get recognized.
0: So outside of costumes, did anybody feel that uh, sound, like sound mixing, Uh, Because it is a musical, after all. Yep. Do we think that uh, that is on the table?
4: Probably. It's on the table.
2: Yeah, you can never really count out a musical of any kind in the sound
3: category. Yep. But we still have that feline musical coming up at the end of the year that might take the musical (laughs) category.
4: Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. (laughs) Amazing. I'm so excited for that. I mean, (laughs) and then maybe something like editing, maybe?
3: I don't think
0: so.
4: I mean... Bohemian then, then
0: again, I, I was going to say, really? I was never in my wildest dreams would have ever have thought that Bohemian Rhapsody would actually win that. But, ugh. damn it, Josh, you called that early and you stuck with it. I can't, yeah. ugh, I can't even. The most
4: is the best. And there was definitely <laughs> visible editing in
0: this. Taryn Egerton's performance, it's interesting because the more I think about it, the more I say to myself, okay, we're in June. We're about to get to the halfway mark. We're actually going to start giving out our halfway award awards probably uh at the end of the month and when i look at the best actor lineup so far this year he undoubtedly is my best actor winner for the first half of 2019 yeah so considering i don't think there's anyone else that really stands a chance i mean that could if there's no other really big contenders over the next two months and boom we're in september he could potentially carry over.
1: I mean, it's pretty much given there will be musical comedy at the Globes, and I think it getting set, like more than one nomination there, I think will probably boost it in the minds of people. Plus, I think who knows? He could even win that category, and that could like you know yeah. boost that those chances. Maybe BAFTA likes it, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, ba- BAFTA going forward is something that I could really see. But one thing that we, I think, we all need to take in consideration here is that. After rewarding Rami Malek for a very similar type of performance the year before, can anyone think of a situation where uh, that has happened? Where it's like two very similar styled movies, two very similar types of uh, performances, these like transformative in in the same genre back to back. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know.
2: That win back to back?
3: Yeah. No, no. But nominated back to back i would cite ben crosby and going my way and then he was nominated the next year for the same performance in bells of saint mary's
0: was i was gonna say i haven't seen bells of saint mary's so i can't i can't agree with you there but at the same time i believe you there tom
2: or it, <laughs> I, I, lying,
1: kinda,
3: I swear but it happened
2: i kind of see it in a situation like jamie fox and ray and joaquin phoenix and walk the line
3: yeah okay Okay. Yeah. The, the the tough thing I think so far is that yes, I think it's the best performance that have been ha, has been released, but I'm I don't know whether it's the best performance that has been seen because critics saw Leo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Antonio Banderas in Pain and Glory, who I think both of them will be contenders. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah,
3: I don't
1: I don't think Taryn ends up getting in for Oscars in the long run, but I, I think, I don't think I can completely rule it out. I could see him
4: with a nomination at best.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. definitely would.
0: I agree. All right. Well, got nothing else to add on that. Uh, with that said, Celia, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet.
4: You can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck. Casey? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark.
0: Josh Parm.
2: Uh, well, despite my feelings about Rocket Man, you can still find me being a Richard Madden stan on Twitter at J.R. Parham. <laughs> the king in the
0: north. <laughs> Josh is like, you are my king in the north. <laughs> <laughs> north, south, east, west. <laughs>
3: uh, Tom O'Brien. You can find me at, at Thomas E. O'Brien on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Rocket Man here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, Castbox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. Let us know what you think of the show. Give us feedback. It helps for people to discover our show. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon. One dollar minimum a month. We'll get you some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. We shall see you all next time.
4: man.
3: Oh, God, I wish I could do that. <laughs>
4: I love that you opened it with that. So it'll be a real test of the listener's
0: commitment. They're going to be like, nope, <laughs> shutting this off. that. <laughs> <Not bad. laughs>